0: every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Since 2014, the college football playoff has seen late game heroics, embarrassing blowouts and some questionable rankings. So we pick apart the best and worst with my next guest right here. It's time, it's time for the college football legends podcast. The players. We're going to and we're taking downfield protection i guarantee okay, you right. that the coaches no man is more important than the team no coach is more important than the team the plays there goes davis oh my god davis is going running all the way back and so much more. college football legends heroes come and go but legends live forever believe in college football legends on the believe podcast network i'm chris smith the NFL season is in full swing, and even though you might not be at the game, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Plus, there's always that online casino as well. The best part about it, it never closes. You can play 24 7. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. That old BCS era was filled with conflict and controversy, so the college football fans got what we were begging for, the college football playoff. Four teams play in two semifinal games, which rotate among the Rose Sugar Orange Cotton Fiesta and Peach Bowls. The winners square off in the national championship game. Yeah, sounds easy, right? Not so fast, my friend, because now teams basically have to win two BCS title games to be crowned the kings of college football. And so far, the SEC has the most appearances, wins and championships, but two programs have dominated the era. Alabama and Clemson have been to the playoff, won in the playoff, and gathered the most championships than any others. So we take a deep dive into the best games in college football playoff history with my special guest on the show, Steve Hegel from JustCollegeFootball.com. Thanks for joining me, Steve.
1: Oh, thanks. Uh, Appreciate appreciate you having me
0: on today. And uh, you're not just president of JustCollegeFootball.com, but also sites for lacrosse, college basketball, and U.S. soccer, Besides the greatest sport ever, college football, which is your other favorite to cover?
1: Uh, I definitely say college basketball. Uh, I've been a big, big, uh, big follower of college basketball ever since I was a kid. and always been very, very passionate about it.
0: That's actually one of my top two right there, college football and then college basketball. So we're on the cusp of the college football playoff, and I wanted to look back at some of the most memorable games. First, it feels like the national championship runs through either Clemson or Alabama in the playoff era, even against each other at times. Which game sticks out more in your mind, the 2017 nail-biter as Clemson edged the Tide 35-31, or the 2016 shootout with the Crimson Tide prevailing 45-40 over the Tigers?
1: Um, I'd have to say it was the game in 2017, um, just because the fact that Clemson came so close the year before and then the next year they got over the hump and they won that game and it was dramatic. It happened right at the end. They got the final touchdown to win the game. Um, I just think that was it sure they came full circle, you know, with Deshaun Watson and that whole team team that year. It just it just you know made it a, much, a great game. I, I, it was even better than the game previous season.
0: Yeah, well, the previous season, I remember the uh, the gutsy special teams call by Alabama's head coach, Nick Saban, with the on kick, and it really seemed to turn the tide of that game.
1: I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, and like I said, I think Deshaun Watson um, coming back, winning that game, uh, coming back to Clemson, winning that game, and that, that kind of just made it come full circle for Clemson. They come so close every year and then finally to get over the hump in 2017 and win the championship.
0: Yeah, that uh, passed Hunter Renfro for a two-yard TD in the final seconds of Clemson, its second national title in program history. It felt like Hunter Renfro was there for six or seven years, <laughs> to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, everybody always says that they felt like he had like a 20-year career, like uh, kind of like the old um, Aaron Kraft uh, in college basketball, the guy that seems there. Peyton Pritchard just played for Oregon and just graduated this past year. Another guy that seemed like he was there for like 20 years because <laughs> he was a freshman on the – Final Four team when the uh, Ducks went to the Final Four in 2017 in Phoenix, Arizona. So, yeah, some players like that, they just seem like they're there forever and ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, it uh, seems like him and Aaron Murray at Georgia, that seemed like he was there for six or seven years. It was like, oh, uh, that's, a, yeah, that's, another, in.
1: that's another good example, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, which blowout in the college football playoff was more eye-opening when the number 2 Tigers trounced top-ranked Bama 44-16 in 2019 or in 2020, when number one LSU rolled over Clemson 42 to 25,
1: I'd have to say it was the game again with Clemson Alabama, uh, the game in Santa Clara. I, I just because LSU was rolling all year last year, and Clemson had a really good team, but I think Clemson the, the part of their problem was last season was they didn't really get tested during the regular season. They had you know they had very few games that were even close, and then to get into a big time game like that, and LSU just looked like they were unbeatable last year. Whereas a 2019 game, Alabama and Clemson came in the game. You thought it was going to be another nail biter, go down to the final, you know, couple plays, uh, final minute of the game, and then Clemson just blew them out. I mean, it was over by you know midway through the third quarter, if not earlier than that. Um, it was, it was, it was amazing how how badly Clemson beat them. And they had Tua Tagovailoa. He was he was healthy. They had you know all their team. Clemson just dominated the whole game.
0: Yeah, it wasn't like when Tua came in for the overtime victory against Georgia. He was actually established at the time.
1: Correct. I mean, that was the second year. He was the start of that whole season. He had a phenomenal season. They just, Clemson just trounced Alabama in that championship game. I mean, they just, they just dominated in every facet of the game. And I mean, they, I mean, like I said, I think it was over probably if I remember correctly, in like the middle of the third quarter. Um, but I mean, they just, Alabama never really had a chance.
0: Well, Saban and Dabo split four games in the college football playoff, but Dabo has the leg up a two to one edge in title games. And another final game in the first ever college football playoff was probably the most shocking as Ohio State down Oregon in 2015. Was it the magical run that the Buckeyes went on with backup QBs, or the letdown by the Ducks led by Heisman winner Marcus Mariota that surprised you the most?
1: I think it was a magical run by the Buckeyes backup quarterbacks. I watched the game, the semifinal game, I were watching here at my house um, when they beat um, Alabama. And they just looked like they were just, you know, they they were just hitting on all cylinders. I, I I didn't, I think most people didn't give them a chance to beat Alabama. I didn't. And they just came out there and they outplayed them, but they beat them. And then after I saw that, I thought, I said, I think they're going to overtake Oregon and win the national championship. And they did. It was amazing how good a team that was that they had. That Cordell Jones, I believe, remember, he was their third string quarterback.
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly. And they, yeah. Right. And they
1: still had that good of a team around them, they could, you know, rally behind him and win the national championship.
0: Yeah, Braxton Miller goes down, JT Barrett goes in. He he gets a season ending injury, and then Cardell Jones makes his third career start <laughs> on the sports biggest stage and throws for 242 and two scores. Wasn't it like a magical run? Because they beat Wisconsin, Ohio State beats Wisconsin 59 to nothing in the Big Ten title game. And like you said, beats Alabama and then goes on to beat Heisman winning quarterback Marcus Mariota and Oregon in the national championship game. Has there any, been any other run like that?
1: Um, Not that I can remember. Um, Not in the recent history of college football. Um, I'm sure there will be sometime in the future, but in the recent history of college football, I can't remember a run like that.
0: Yeah. Well, the college football playoff is definitely young. We have a, our guests on the show, Steve Heagle from just and quite possibly the most heartbreaking championship game was when Alabama down Georgia 26 23 in OT do you think it was more gut-wrenching because it was in Atlanta the dog's backyard or amazing with a breakout party for Tua Tagovailoa, which we were talking about
1: I think it was uh, more amazing with Tua because I mean a- Alabama was getting destroyed in that game by halftime. I mean, they were, they were definitely going to lose if they didn't do something. And Nick Saban made the ultimate decision just to go with Tua, who had never played much more than mop-up duty that season. If he had even remember correctly played it at all um, and went in there and, you know, just turned the whole tide of the game. And as, as you know, in football, you, you game plan for, you know, you game plan for, and then, and, they're in jail and, hurts. and then all of a sudden they bring the backup and you're like, oh, we don't really know much about this guy. And then the whole, <laughs> you got to scramble and try to figure out what you're going to do at the last, you know, in the national championship game. So I definitely think it was the fact that Tua was put in there and he turned the whole tide of the game.
0: Yeah, you, you got to adjust on the fly. Tua throws that 41 yard strike to Devontae Smith in overtime, giving the tide a dramatic walk off victory, cementing his status in college football lore. Was that the gutsiest call that you've seen lately with Nick Saban putting Tua in, the backup quarterback, in a national championship game?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you have your entrenched starter who has already won you um, the national championship in Hertz, and the fact that he gets pulled out. Um, of that game at halftime, just because he's he's not playing well, and you just go with a freshman who a true freshman who hasn't really had much game time experience in the national championship game, I think it was more uh, the head coach Nick Saban just thought to himself, well, "What do I have to lose here? You know, if I if he does it, it's it's something that will catch the other team off guard and maybe it'll click, and it did. You know, it was the right decision. Sometimes you need to do that, and you figure at that point in the game you. At that time, that game figures a national championship game. It's not like a game in the middle of the season where you figure if you put this guy in and he does badly, you have to go back to your other quarterback, but you're not going to revert back to him because it's the last game of the season anyway. So, and it worked out best for him.
0: Yeah, it definitely did. And there's also been some uh, teams that have been head scratchers to fans, as in, why did the committee put that team in, in the first place? Like the semifinal at the Cotton Bowl Classic, New Year's Eve 2015, where Alabama humiliated Michigan State 38 to nothing. Were the Spartans a worthy playoff team?
1: I would have to say yes, uh, just on my recollection, just because they had won the Big Ten that year, and off my memory, I apologize. I think they went undefeated. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: Actually, they lost to Nebraska by one point in their ninth game and eventually won to share the East Division with Ohio State, but the head-to-head win over the Buckeyes put them into the Big Ten Championship where the Spartans beat fourth-ranked Iowa, and they finished third in the playoff rankings.
1: So and winning the Big Ten, I think they deserve the spot. They just were just they were just totally out out of their league in regards to getting to the playoff and playing Alabama, though. And then and then you saw what happened. Um, but they were the Big Ten champions, and they definitely I, I believe were in the spot.
0: And we're speaking with Steve Hegel from JustCollegeFootball.com. And another in December of 2018, two undefeated teams met in the semifinals, but Clemson exposed Notre Dame 30 to three. Was this just a case of the Notre Dame brand propelling them into that game?
1: Uh, I think partly the Notre Dame brand propelling into the game. I think partly um, it was along the same lines as Michigan State, um, which we just spoken about, that they had gone undefeated and had a good season, but they hadn't beaten that many quality opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you saw with Clemson, when they lost to LSU last year, they beat Ohio State, and of course, in the semifinal. But most of the season, they didn't really play that, strong of a schedule. It wasn't entirely their fault. I mean, they're scheduled to play the ACC and that's who they're, you know, you play who you have to play, who you have to play, but in regards to, yeah, and that's the, that's the biggest hardest part is the fact that, you know, Notre Dame didn't have that tough a schedule that year. They had won every game they were undefeated. So, you know, they, they got the spot in the playoff game.
0: Yeah. And with the success in Notre Dame, do you think they should stay in the ACC now? Um,
1: I don't think so. I think, I think the the way Notre Dame has always had their their schedule set up and everything. I think they're better play, playing. I think they have the perfect I think they had the perfect setup in the previous years before this year when of course the coronavirus pandemic hit and they had to push to all ACC games. I think the first, they have five set ACC games every year. I think that's about the perfect number. And then they could schedule their non-conference opponents um, and they can schedule as tough as they want. They have their standing rivalries with the, that dropped off, of course, this year, but with USC and and um, sometimes they play Michigan and they always play Navy, which, so I think those kind of games are always um, in line for them. And I think it's better for them to play, you know, those games each and every season and just play the small segment of the ACC schedule because then it makes it even more, um, better for fans when they play Clemson every three to four years and they play Virginia Tech every couple, you know what I mean? They don't play them each and every season. Like they played, they played a pretty tough schedule this year. I mean, they played Clemson, they played North Carolina, you know, so yeah, that would be, that would be my one by one the one setback the fact that each and every season they only play the five ACC games so they, they're not eligible for the conference championship game so maybe that would be something to look at in the future to be somehow to work them in if they had to play maybe they could push to like seven or eight conference games and they still have three or four you know non-conference games that they could schedule against all their opponents they normally like to play yeah. so that might be an option in the future yeah, so that'd
0: be a good idea still get the rivalry games in and still be able to play in a conference championship game then there's New Year's Eve, 2016, where the Pac-12's Washington Huskies got steamrolled by Alabama, 24 to seven, in the Peach Bowl semis. Is this just a classic case of the committee not wanting to put two teams from the same conference in the playoffs? Penn State and Michigan were pretty good that year.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, it's it's almost like um, trying to get the Pac-12 involved, um, as this year you saw, like even though they started so late, they started November 7th, but um, I think almost the they were the PAC 12 conference itself is probably praying one team went undefeated to cause some controversy (laughs) so they can, they can somehow get a team in it. Like even if they only won six or seven games and won the conference championship and didn't really play any high play any strong competition so i yeah i think the pac-12 that, that was definitely a committee decision to be like okay we've got to get a pac-12 team involved at some point so okay this is a good year to get them get them in the final four
0: yeah it seems like that happens more often than not and we're speaking with steve hegel from just and let's turn to the have nots the group of five who seem to always get the door shut on them when it comes to the playoff do the g5 teams get enough respect
1: uh, definitely not. No, they don't. Um, as you're seeing this year, uh, Cincinnati is now in the top ten of the um, the playoff ranking. But no, they they definitely don't. I mean, most of them, even if they go undefeated, they'll be lucky. It'd be the best case scenario is for them to get a New Year's Bowl game. That, that, that they're not going to do much better than that.
0: Yeah, than a New Year's Six.
1: <laughs> and most of the most of the power and, and in a normal season, of course, the pandemic changed things this year. But in a normal season, the Power Five conference teams probably look at that game against them. A team like Cincinnati is not going to be. It's going to be good but not great and probably figure, ooh, do we want to play that game? Because what if we possibly lose to them, you know? So they try to hedge from scheduling them at, at some point. That's what I'm seeing with UCF happening in the last several years for them as well.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, when we're talking about teams like Notre Dame where they go undefeated, but maybe you don't think the schedule's as good, it doesn't seem like they give that credence to the G5. So do you think it all comes down, the strength of schedule?
1: I think that's a big portion of it, yeah, strength of schedule. Um, of course, winning all your games is, is – Paramount to everything else But yeah Strength of schedule Is the biggest thing And it's harder For some of the schools To schedule games Because you know If they want to play uh, Even like uh, Alabama Or Clemson Or uh, North Carolina Or Notre Dame or Whoever They probably got to Do two or three Away games With them Just to maybe get One home game back Like a two or three For one Or do um, Just do one They'll give them one game And they'll have to be at, the, at Notre Dame's place At you know At the time they want The day they want Early in the season So it's tough for them to schedule. It definitely is for non-conference, uh, for for you know to schedule tough games. And then of course you're all depending on the rest of the, the rest of your season. You're depending on your teams in your conference to be decent that you're beating, and not to kind of have a big fall off there as well, which is which is out of your control.
0: Exactly. And up the crowning of LSU in 2020, has the college football playoff been a success?
1: I would say yes for the most part. Um, it, it definitely. Majority of the seasons, it definitely decides who the best team is. I can, I always, people always say you can go to eight teams. I think maybe going to six teams might be the next step, best step. You can give the first two teams buys and then have three play six, four play five, and then have semifinals championship. But add an extra week or so, 10 days to it. I'll also add a little more intrigue and maybe give a chance for a, a secondary team, like G G5 team, to get into the playoff. You know, it would give them more, more, um, more flexibility to get into the playoff you know, like a Cincinnati or a BYU in a normal season.
0: What would be your ideal amount of teams? Is it sticking at six or would you like to go to eight, 12?
1: I think they should do six. I think they should. Now they've done four for so many years now. I know they're the the it's set till 2025, I believe. Uh, yes. They're at four. Yeah, I think they should maybe after 2025, just go to six for it like a five-year run of six teams and see what happens. Um, I think that one might be the best. I think eight might be too many because then you're going to put, uh, say, a team like Alabama finishes first this year, and they're playing the eighth team, and that could be just a, a major blowout. And you don't want that, you know. I mean, not that, you know, Alabama blows a lot of teams out, but I can I can definitely see them <laughs> beating an eighth team really, really badly in the first game. Um, so whereas if you put them, one and two would get a bye. Three plays six, four plays five in the first weekend, and then the better teams would move on. Um, and then it adds, an, it adds one extra week to it, um, and you also give an incentive for the top two teams you want to finish first and second because you get that you know ten days or two weeks off where you can practice, you know, and and you know get ready for the first game and be fresh where the other teams have to play, like kind of like the NFL playoffs in a way.
0: Well, I hope the committee's listening. I li- I like that more football the better, <laughs> but anything has to be better than the BCS. The college football playoff is really two BCS national championship games to win the title, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, you're going to play. The the model they had before was definitely where. I understand some people were saying, oh, we have two national champions. That's just, you know, that's almost like if you have two national champions, just like pick a field, you know, pick a dome stadium in the, you know, somewhere. And just two weeks later, play the game and then decide who's a <laughs> champion on the field. Instead of saying, OK, we have two national champions. It's definitely a much better model than they had in the past.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, in the college football playoff era, actually, UCF has claimed a national championship because they were ranked number one in one of the sectors. Do you think they deserve that title, or is it really just whoever wins the College Football Playoff National Championship?
1: Whoever wins the College Football Playoff National Championship. Um, nothing against UCF. I think they had a great season that season. Um, they went undefeated. but um, And I can't remember off the top of my head what what, the, what their final ranking was in the um, CFP.
0: Uh, I, they, the they were ranked number one in one of the selectors, just one.
1: Okay. No, I mean in like the playoff rankings before they even playoff took place oh, yeah, what they yeah, were. They, I think they, they were like number yeah, 12 or 10 or yeah, something yeah, like they that. Yeah, were,
0: they were on the outside looking in as they were, yep, number 12 in the final rankings.
1: Yeah, so I, I, but I mean, and no disrespect to them, but yeah, I mean that that just saying you're the national championship is not just because you went undefeated is not enough. You have to, you have to get in the playoff and win the games because who knows, could they have beaten Alabama if they got in? You never know, but I mean, doing it on the field is what matters the most.
0: Exactly. All right. It's time Time to go. Go. Three and out. It's time to go three and out with Steve Hegel from justcollegefootball.com. Three letter questions to close out the interview. First, how great would it have been to have the playoff in 2004 where USC, Oklahoma, Auburn, and Utah all went undefeated? So, Steve, we're going to go back in time, and the playoff bracket is. USC with Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush versus Utah and QB Alex Smith with Urban Meyer at the helm. Who was the winner of that game? Uh, I, would, I would pick USC. Oh, USC moves on. Now on the other side, uh, Adrian Peterson and Oklahoma takes on Jason Campbell, Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown and Auburn. Who you got in that game?
1: I would go with Oklahoma with Adrian Peterson. So it's going to be
0: the same, USC, Oklahoma, and <laughs> I guess you'll pick USC to, to, to win it again, right?
1: I would pick USC to win it again. Yeah, that team was just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, that I don't know. That Auburn team would have would have put up some uh would have put up a fight against Oklahoma, but see, with the BCS we would never know. And number two, you are a John Wooden award voter given to the most outstanding college basketball players. What is your criteria? Uh
1: my criteria personally or the committee's criteria. What's your like what's the, your
0: criteria personally?
1: My criteria is um Personally, is the player that I think helps their team the most and is most impactful throughout the entire college basketball season. Um, you'll see some players like a couple of seasons ago. Uh, almost everybody in the country voted for Zion Williamson uh, to be Player of the Year, and I he had an incredible season. I, I think I thought the most valuable player. I'll say I still I voted for John Morant who played for uh, Murray State. I thought he was the most integral part of his. You know, To his team, he averaged 10 assists, which hadn't been done in 40 years in college basketball, over 20 points a game. And he, if you took him off that team, look how much they would have dropped. Where if you took Zion off the Duke team, they would have dropped, but they wouldn't have dropped that much because they had so many other star players on that team as well. Hmm. So that's how I look at it. I look at it, who who is most integral to the team's success and how far would they go without that one individual player?
0: Well, I'm sure Ja will be happy to know that. Uh... That you wanted him as the recipient of the John Wooden Award.
1: Yeah, I I think he was the best player that season, and I think it you know, uh, definitely helped that team get to another level, get to two other levels than they were where they would have been. No,
0: definitely. And finally, I'm a foodie, and I can't leave out your alma mater. What was the best spot to eat around Towson University and the Baltimore area? What are we having?
1: Uh, Crab cakes um
0: can't go wrong with those maryland crab cakes
1: yeah there's several great places you can go um right around towson in the baltimore area for crab cakes um i could i could name them all day there's a place called pappas there's a place called the valley inn um mother's grill there's there's so many places to get good crab cakes around the baltimore towson area Um, Uh, and, and that was yeah that was my that's that's always my favorite favorite food so if you're if you're not kind of from the Maryland, you know, Eastern Shore area, you're probably not a, as big a crab fan crab cake fan, but um yeah if you're if if you like them, you know there there's a lot of great places around here to get them. A lot of people have them shipped nationwide too that are from originally from this area. um if they head out if they move somewhere else, you know, and their friends can ship them out there, you know, to them for Christmas. I heard
0: it's a big time Christmas gift these days. Oh, nice. Well, I'll be yeah. looking forward to some. <laughs> <laughs> we got a stamp his approval on the crab case. And we've been speaking with Steve Hegel from JustCollegeFootball.com. Thanks for joining me, Steve.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. Thanks for listening to the Believe in College Football Legends podcast. Make sure to check out all the prior episodes with Heisman winners, legendary coaches, and sports personalities reliving the greatest plays. You can tweet your questions at TheSportsJesus and join us next week because it will be legendary.